0: your teachers are ready for you at the back this is for grades kindergarten through fifth grade this is where you receive a sunday school lesson appropriate for your age as we stated during our call to worship this is palm sunday And so we're going to read about Palm Sunday and learn some lessons for Palm Sunday from John's account of this triumphal entry in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 50. And yes, we're going to read 12 through 50. Paul commanded Timothy to give himself to the public reading of Scripture. This is a biblical mandate for us to hear from God. Friends, we need more word in our services. We need more word in our corporate life. We need more word in our personal life. And so I do not apologize for... 40, however many, 38, 39 verses of Scripture. We need to be people of the Word. So let us willingly and happily stand for all of this Scripture. Think about how good God is that he would give us Holy Scripture, that he would reveal himself, his will, and his way to us. What a privileged people we are to have Holy Scripture. There are people on this earth today that don't have access to the written word of God. So let us not take God's word for granted. He didn't have to do it. He has revealed himself to us by his grace. John chapter 12, verse number 12. The next day the large, large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip. Who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. Verse 27, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. that you might become sons of the light. And when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. And though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Well, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have your seat. I just want to give us this morning some lessons from Palm Sunday. Some lessons for Palm Sunday. First of all, what we see in our text, I want to jump right into this because we have a lot of ground to cover on this morning. I plan to preach all these verses. I hope you brought you a snack. <laughs> first thing, the first lesson that we are taught verses 12 through 19, is that we are to honor the king. Honor the king. Our text opened by setting the scene for us. There is a large crowd that has come for the feast, the Passover, which is in Jerusalem. And this large crowd would have been hundreds of thousands. We're, we're not sure how large the crowd is. Josephus, the, the, the late his, Jewish historian, uh, said that there, at one time there were approximately 2.7 million people at one time that came for the Passover. Now, I don't know if he personally counted all 2.7 million, but that's what he said. Now, most scholars believe that he exaggerated the number, but what we can learn from it is that there were a lot of people there to observe the passover now not only was this large crowd in our text interested in this passover meal but they were also curious about this man named jesus they had just heard that this man jesus had just raised lazarus from the dead and as a result this crowd now gives Jesus the honor reserved for a king. Verse 13 says that they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. There are several things we need to observe about verse 13 before we move forward. First, let's look at these palm Branches. These palm branches were originally used during the Feast of Tabernacles as a form of praise to God. Over time, these palm branches would be used on multiple festal occasions. Eventually, palm branches became a national symbol of victory for the people of Israel. So as Jesus now is coming into Jerusalem, as he's entering Jerusalem, they take these palm branches to honor the king. And they cry out, Hosanna. That word, Hosanna, we've sang about it, we've read about it. It literally means save now or give salvation now. This term would have been known very well by most of the Jews. As it was part of the song they sang every morning, the temple choir would sing this song every morning during the Feast of Tabernacles. And the song came from Psalm numbers 113 to number 118. Psalm 118 verse number 25 reads, here it is, Save us, we pray. Hosanna. That's what it is. Save us, we pray. That's what it is. Hosanna. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, we pray, give us success. That's Psalm 118, 25. But they don't stop just at verse number 25. They move from 25 to verse number 26 of Psalm 118, which reads, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they up. Identify this he who comes in the name of the Lord as the King of Israel. So Hosanna is both a prayer and a praise. They they are celebrating their King, their Messiah, their anointed one. Now, let me share with you this singing, this triumphal Entry is one of a handful of scenes that is recorded in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in none of these Gospels does Jesus ever rebuke the crowd for their praise. Therefore, we are to infer that their praise was acceptable. Their praise was right. To honor Jesus as the King of Israel, the Messiah, was the right thing to do. Jesus was and is to be honored as the King. King Jesus is to be reverenced, extolled, praised, worshipped, glorified. I I, I can make an even stronger point for for while honoring the King here in this text is right. Because when Luke records this, this event, of the triumphal entry, the Pharisees in the crowd tell Jesus, they say, Jesus, these people who have just been crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who come in the name of the Lord, glory to God in the highest, they tell Jesus, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus replies to them, I tell you, if these were silent, these very stones would cry out. Another way, Jesus says, one way or the other, the king will receive the honor that he is due. Friends, I don't know about you, but King Jesus has been too good to me to let some rocks cry out in my place. Uh, friends, I, I, I'm convinced that we ought never to waste an opportunity to give Christ the praise and honor that he is due. That's why you hear me say, just as I said in the call to worship, this is the day that the Lord has made and we ought to rejoice and be glad in it. The old saints would have said it like this. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank God for saving me. Palm Sunday is a reminder that our king is to be honored. He's worthy of praise. Now, as we move on, I must say something about verse verse 14. It says, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Very important verse. Why is this an important verse? Because typically a king didn't ride on a donkey. He rode on a horse. But yet Jesus does not ride on a horse. He does not enter on a horse. Why? Because the the horse was the animal uh, uh, that the king rode from war or to war. The donkey was the animal that symbolized peace, gentleness. So this king is bringing peace. But not peace from the result of winning a war. His peace would come through the cross. So for this crowd, Jesus is actually an unexpected king. They they expected Jesus to put an end to the Roman empire and allow the Jews to rule the world in prosperity and harmony forever. This is not King Jesus. He he came not to destroy his enemies, but to die for his enemies. He he came to offer them forgiveness and salvation. Oh, what a savior. Oh, what a king. So we learn, first of all, that we ought to honor the king. But Palm Sunday, not only are we to learn the honor of the king, But we also learn, get ready, that we are to hate our lives in this world. I pulled it straight from the text. Jesus says, whoever loves his life loses it. But whoever hates his life in this world keeps it for eternal life. Let's walk through it. Beginning in verse 20, we meet a new crowd. And this crowd is comprised of Greeks. These Greeks are likely God-fearing Gentiles who had come from some part of the Greek-speaking world to participate in the Passover. And John likely highlights them because they represent the world. And their request is to see Jesus, to interview him, to learn from him. I think John points them out, highlights them, because they are a contrast to the Pharisees who did not want to see Jesus or inquire of him, but they wanted to kill him. The the Pharisees, his own people, the Pharisees, those who had the enlightenment and the illumination of the Old Testament that revealed the Messiah, refused to seek him. His very own people rejected him. But yet, these Greeks coming, the world desires to see Jesus. You can see that this is both a subtle rebuke of the Pharisees and a glimmer of hope that the world can receive salvation through Jesus. Now, the only information that we have about this conversation between Jesus and these Greeks is what Jesus says, beginning in verse 23. He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. First time in the book of John where Jesus announces that his hour has come. Normally, it's it's not yet my hour. My hour has not yet come. But now he announces clearly that his hour has come. What does he mean by the hour has come? For the Son of Man to be glorified, he's referring to his death on the cross. That's why in verse 24, he uses the image of this grain of wheat falling onto the earth and dying. The only way a harvest can be reaped is if the grain of wheat dies. The only way a harvest of souls can be saved is if Christ dies by way of the cross. So then, given this information, Jesus now calls for a response. This this is his call to discipleship. Verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. When Jesus uses the word hate here, church, he's not referring to despising yourself, not calling us to have a low sense of self-worth. He's not calling us to be disgusted with our existence. Jesus is calling us to die to ourselves daily. Jesus calls anyone who would follow him, anyone who would be his disciple, to deny themselves. They ought to love living for Christ more than they love living for themselves. This is a call, church, to focus one's life on Christ and Christ alone. What's interesting about this verse is when Jesus says, whoever loves his life will lose it, that word lose literally means to destroy or to ruin. Therefore, what we ought to understand is that whoever loves his life in this world is actually ruining their life. Loving one's own life is a self-defeating process. It destroys the very life it seeks to preserve. And friends, I see this all the time. I believe one of the reasons there is so much despondency and dissatisfaction among Christians is because we love our life in this world too much. Too many Christians suffer from the idolization of self. We, We become the center of our own lives. It's all about us all the time. Then we get mad at Christ when life doesn't go our way. Friends, the life of the Christian is not for ourselves. Our life is for Christ. We come in here, sing songs like we just sang. My life is not my own. To you I belong. But as soon as we live here, leave this place, leave this room, it's all about us. The verse that God has been using to sanctify me, to grow me, is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. Every day I have to crucify Brandon because Brandon wants his way. He wants his dreams to be fulfilled. He wants it to be all about his goals, his glory. But Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. If you want to find joy in life, if you want to find peace in life, if you want to find meaning in life, make it about Christ. Thank you. Help me out, baby. Christians, it's not about you. When you said yes to Jesus, you said no to me. It's not about us. And that's what I'm trying to help us. That's what I want for the British Church so much. I want us to be a people that are always dying to self. Your goals, your dreams, Your plans, crucified. And now I live for Christ, for his plans, his dreams, his goals, his purpose. And that's where I find satisfaction in life. We will never be satisfied until we are satisfied with Christ alone. Third lesson that we ought to learn from Palm Sunday Verses 27 through 36, the command from Jesus is to walk in the light. This next section opens with Jesus praying to the Father that the Father's name will be glorified. And the Father responds audibly by saying that he has glorified it and it will be glorified. And Jesus tells this crowd the voice has come for their sake rather than his own sake. Jesus says judgment has come upon the world and the ruler of this world. Jesus is saying that the world will condemn itself by its treatment of the Son at the cross. The cross, friends, demonstrates the depth of human depravity. In the cross, we see the creature's rebellion against its creator. The cross is the evidence of the rejection of the Son of Man. And since the Son of Man was sent by God to reject the Son of Man, is to reject God himself. And Jesus says, this brings judgment. But in the cross, we also see the defeat of Satan. At Calvary, Satan is dethroned. Jesus says there's something else that happens because of this cross. Verse 32. And if I and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. When Jesus speaks of being lifted up, he's referring to the crucifixion. The cross being lifted up with him on it. And Jesus says when that happens, I'm going to draw all people to myself. Couple of observations. That, 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 that word draw signifies, friends, this is important for your understanding of salvation. The word draw signifies that men do not naturally come to Christ of their own volition. We have to be wooed. We have to be pulled in by Christ. The Holy Spirit has to do a work on our heart. It is not natural. What's natural for us is to rebel. And so because of the cross, Jesus says, I'm going to draw all men to myself. Now, we also have to deal with this word all. Jesus is not referring here to universal salvation. He's not saying all people without exception will be saved. What he's saying is all people without distinction will be saved. Remember, salvation came to the Jews first. But now we see these Greeks coming, and now they're curious about Christ. And so now Jesus is saying, when, I, when he says all people, he's saying uh, it's going to be all people without the distinction of ethnicity, gender, socioeconomic status. He's going to, he, he's going to draw all kinds of people to himself. Uh, I, would, I would argue that Jesus is showing that he's going to have a multi-ethnic kingdom. So this crowd is bewildered. They understand that the Christ, the Messiah, will live forever. So how can he be lifted up on a cross? How can he die and live forever? Jesus, that's what I'm starting doing to some of y'all. I'm gonna do what Jesus does to them. He does not answer their question. <laughs> when you ask me about predestination and foreknowledge and election, I'm just gonna move on to something else. <laughs> Jesus deals with the most urgent need. He you're trying to figure this out. The light is among you for a little while longer. So walk in the light, the beautiful light. Jesus, the light of the world. Why and how is Jesus' light? Light, friends, reveal. Light exposes. Jesus, when he came into the world, his responsibility, his task was to reveal the Father to the world. To expose the sin of the world and reveal the need for salvation. When Jesus came into the world, he came into a world filled with darkness because of sin. But Jesus now comes into the world and he says, I am the light of the world. So, Jesus says, since He is the light, the call, the response, the application is believe in the light. That's the responsibility. Believe in Christ. Trust in Christ. Put all of our faith in Christ. The last half of verse 36 says, When Jesus had said these things, he departed. And hid himself from them. Why does John record this detail? Because Jesus is now acting out the warning he just announced. When he said he was light, he told them to believe the light, walk in the light, unless darkness overtake them. In darkness, we are blinded. In darkness, we cannot see where we are going, where we are walking. And so what Jesus does here is he gives them a good of what happens when he removes his light. He hides himself from them. They cannot see Jesus because they are in darkness. Number four, we learn that we ought to love the glory that comes from God rather than man. Love the glory that comes from God. Let me show you where it is. Jesus says that those who don't believe will be overtaken by darkness. That's what this section shows us. Despite the many signs and wonders Jesus had performed, many still refuse to believe. Friends, what this section shows us is that unbelief has consequences. You cannot remain agnostic about Christ. You cannot remain neutral when it comes to Christ. You either believe or you disbelieve. And each one has consequences. Belief leads to eternal life. Unbelief leads to eternal condemnation. There is no middle. The consequence of unbelief, we see the wrath of God being poured out. Where do we see it? God himself blinds the eyes and hardens the hearts of unbelievers. Scripture is not afraid of this. It ascribes to God, the one who blinds eyes and hardens the heart of unbelievers. I hear you. I hear you. That seems very unfair. To arrive at this conclusion requires some prior assumptions. First, to believe that this is unfair of God to blind the eyes and harden the heart, we have to, to assume that God owes or is obligated to give everyone a chance to be saved. Really? Really? This is a false belief, my friend. The only thing we have earned is judgment. We are guilty of sin, and what guilty sinners rightfully deserve is eternal condemnation to hell. That's what we deserve. Salvation is owed to no one. That's why we are saved by grace. If it was owed to us, it would no longer be grace. It will be something we've earned. You've heard me preach this before, but I want you to get this. You really don't want God to be fair with us. If God is fair to all of us, he has to give us all what we deserve, and that's a sentence in hell. So God, don't be fair to me. If, you, if they want to be you can be fair to them. But don't be fair to me. I need your grace. Still seems unfair. But we also have to assume that humans are morally neutral or morally pure and upright and therefore don't deserve judgment. Just look around. You know what? I know what y'all do. Go get on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. (laughs) For those of you who are not on social media, pick up the newspaper. (laughs) And you will see that humans are not morally neutral or morally pure. We were born in sin, shaping in iniquity. So it is righteous and holy of God to blind the eyes of unbelievers and to harden their hearts. There is a consequence for unbelief. This is a bad news section But in the midst of this bad news section, John gives us some good news. He says some of the Jewish leaders actually turned from unbelief to belief. They are now believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Only problem is that because of their fear of the Pharisees and being put out of the synagogue, they refuse to publicly confess their belief that Jesus is the Christ. In John's commentary, About this is that they love the glory that comes from man rather than the glory that comes from God. The heart of the issue for these Pharisees for for these who 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 these Jewish leaders who began to believe but refused to confess it is what we call the fear of man. We fear what man will think of us, do to us, say about us, and it paralyzes us. What's sad in the church is that some of us would prefer the applause of men more than we would prefer the applause of heaven. How many of us in this room, don't, don't, don't say anything, you're going to tell all your business. How many of us have made regrettable decisions because of the fear of man. How many times have we sought the honor of our fellow man so much that we were willing to dishonor God in our actions? John says that we ought to love the glory that comes from God rather than the glory that comes from man. This is the example we have in Christ. He so loved the glory that comes from God that he was willing to go to the cross. See, the problem with most of us is that we don't realize that the path to glory is actually the way of suffering. We don't realize that the the only way to get the crown is by way of the cross. See, the problem with too many of us in the church is that we want the crown, but we don't want the cross. We want the glory, but we don't want the suffering. We want all the benefits, but we don't want to pay the cost. Finally, Jesus summarizes everything he says, verses 44 through 50. And I think he just essentially is telling us that we have a choice. Ha! My Calvinists are going to hate me now. The Bible doesn't resolve this tension for it. it lives with us, and, and, and it is okay. Yes, God is sovereign when it comes to salvation, but he also holds humans responsible for the choice that we make. You can figure it out. See, the problem with, here's, here's what we've got to learn to do in the church. We've got to be willing to be okay to live with the tension of some of these doctrines if we could understand everything about God, God would no longer be God. If we could understand everything about God, he would no longer be uh, infinite, all-wise, all-knowing. He'd be just like us. Who wants a God who's like, I don't want nobody, listen, I don't even want my own children to be like me. It <laughs> wouldn't be that bad, actually. Wait, total depravity. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. no. There's a choice believe or be judged. That's all Jesus tells us in this final section. Jesus essentially tells us that He is God's agent of salvation. Therefore, to believe in Christ is to believe in God. Jesus came to deliver men and women from darkness. He came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Therefore, my friends, believe. If you don't believe, you will be judged on the last day. You will receive the due punishment that you have earned just to be sentenced to eternal torment in hell. Worship team, you can make your way back to the stage. Palm Sunday. Jesus enters into Jerusalem. They cry out, Hosanna. They worship this king called a triumphal entry, but really it was a faithful entry because when Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he went there knowing that he would be betrayed. He went there to be executed, to be crucified, to die on a cross. Jesus, before he is glorified, he makes a final call to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not a word just for unbelievers, but we are to daily trust in Christ. Daily, we are to walk in the light that Christ has given us, the light of his word. He talks about how it it is his words that give eternal life. Treasure the word of God. Palm Sunday is a reminder that we ought to praise the king. Palm Sunday is a reminder to us to honor the king. Palm Sunday is reminding us that we ought to walk in the life, the light. It's also a reminder to us, Scripture, that we ought to hate our life. In this word. It's the idea of preference. Prefer Christ more than we prefer our own lives. We've talked a lot about the death of Christ. The call for somebody in this room is to believe. To trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for forgiveness of sin. What you need more than anything on this Lord's day is to be forgiven. That's your greatest need. Jesus provides forgiveness by way of the cross. And his call to us is to believe in him, to be rescued from the wrath of God. But somebody else in this room, Palm Sunday is a reminder Some stuff that still needs to be crucified in you. Some habits. Some attitudes. Need to die. Palm Sunday is a reminder. If you love your life in this world, you're actually ruining it. You're destroying it. for the sake of Christ. Reject the idolization of yourself. Live for Christ and Christ alone. Jesus died. His blood was shed for all kinds of men and women, boys and girls. Friends, so now I want us to stand together and sing about the blood I want you to know that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins let's sing